Thank you for joining us. Remember, you can watch our services live and view our archive at StevensCreekChurch.com, the Stevens Creek app, or on our Roku channel. And if our ministries have touched your life, we'd love to hear about it. Send us an email to mystory@stevenscreekchurch.com. We hope today's message encourages and inspires you. Enjoy the message. Well, Merry Christmas, everybody. I just love this time of year, especially love this time of year at the creek. Man, there is so much to be thankful for as we come together to, to celebrate the best news the world has ever heard, that Jesus has come. And so to start out today with something kind of fun, I want to show you my all-time favorite Christmas video. And there, there's a good chance you've already seen this because it went viral online about five years ago. But this is actually from my home church in Kentucky. Ashley and I grew up in Kentucky. By the way, thank you for your prayers for our home state. Uh, there's just a lot of devastation there, as Pastor Marty just said. But this is going to be something that we cut together, this video that we can all smile at and hopefully even, even laugh at today. So about five years ago, Southland Christian Church, where uh, Ashley and I used to call home many years ago, they, for their Christmas Eve service, put out a video they called Christmas is Told by Kids. And they got some kids from the church to tell the Christmas story, and then the adults in the church to act out what the kids were saying. And our friend John Weiss, who's actually the lead pastor of that church, is the one playing the angel Gabriel. They put this online, and on Facebook alone, over the last five years, it has been viewed more than 100 million times. It went absolutely viral, and I think you'll see why. It's, uh, it's just a lot of fun. And so we could all use a little fun this Christmas season. So let's take a few minutes to start out today and watch this together. came to see Mary. She was doing laundry, and then the angel just appeared, and she was really scared. So Gabriel was like, Mary, you're going to have, what? I can't, I can't say good. Mary, you're going to have a baby. I, you're going to have a baby, and you will call him Jesus. And then Mary was like, I'm not going to have a baby yet. I'm only a teenager. I'm not married. Then the angel Gabriel told Joseph that Mary is not lying. She, you are having a new baby. And so they met up. They went to Bethlehem, which was Joseph's old town. They ride a donkey. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. A camel. Oh, yeah, a camel. She said, this donkey's fast. They tried to go to a hotel and they asked the keeper um, for a place to stay. The keeper said, we have no rooms, literally no rooms. <laughs> so Mary and Joseph walked away sadly, but then he said, the only place in here in Bethlehem that, that you can stay, stay is a staple. And then he just pointed the way and they followed. When the shepherds were taking care of the sheep, then they saw angels. The angels said, a new baby is getting born who is king of the Jews. The angels were singing. And then the shepherd said, I think we should go there and meet him. The second, I think, said, yeah, I agree with you. And the other said, yeah, me too. They had to walk through a bunch of grass and bushes, maybe have to camp out a night. And then the wise men heard about it. And then a star appeared. 
We, we should probably follow that star. It's pointing down to the barn. So maybe we should follow it. Maybe. So the wise men went to Jesus. They gave them gifts. A stuffed animal, like a hippo one, to have at home. Some diapers, and <laughs> some wipes, and some milk, some <laughs> shoes, some Jordans. Gold, Frank, and Latimer. And I don't know how it would survive in that barn. Too stinky, too crowded, and ugh. I think he probably pooped because the room was very smelly. Thank you for coming. He's adorable. He's gonna be our best friend. I love you, and you're the best baby I ever seen. There, I said it. <laughs> the new baby is gonna change the world. <laughs> That's so fun. We don't even need a sermon after that, right? I mean, that's the whole story. You got the whole deal. While you're in a laughing mood, I've been trying out some different dad jokes for Christmas. So I did a different one last service. See how you like this one. They're all really bad. All right, so why is the letter E the only letter that gets Christmas presents? Because all the rest of the letters are not E. It's terrible. I know. I know. They're, they're, they're all that bad. But I'm trying to find the worst one over the three services that I can torture my children with the rest of the Christmas season. That's a contender. That's a contender. All right. If you've got your Bible out, go ahead and open it up to Luke chapter 1, or if you have the Bible app on your phone. If you don't, don't worry. We'll have this, in the, uh, uh, this on the screen behind me here. We're going to be studying the character of Mary, the person of Mary, so a, a young lady of such extraordinary faith, one of the most misunderstood people in all of Scripture, um, but the Christmas story through her eyes is something that I think has so much practical application for where we are now. But while you're turning there, a quick story to kind of set up, set up what we're going to be talking about today. So my lovely wife, Ashley, has been wearing a new ring lately. It's a ring that's gotten a lot of attention. In fact, she has gotten a ton of compliments on this ring because it's, it is, it's a rock. All right. So I'm going to show you a picture of this ring. I mean, dang, right? So people are like, oh my gosh, how much did that cost? Like, $20,000, $30,000. I'm going to tell you exactly how much it cost. $50,000. Not $50,000. $50. 50 $50 on Amazon. That's what's called a cubic zirconia. All right? So <laughs> looks like a diamond, not a diamond. So here's why she's wearing that. So the actual diamond ring that I bought her more than 20 years ago for our engagement, which is way smaller and didn't get nearly as many compliments as the fake thing, um, she wore it proudly. I, I saved up. I put it on layaway all those years ago. Finally gave it to her. She was so excited. Well, a few months ago, the prongs holding that tiny little diamond came loose, and it, it fell out, and we didn't even realize it had fallen out. And we've got one of these robot vacuums in the house that just kind of goes around gobbling stuff up. So by the time we realized that diamond had fallen out, the theory is the robot vacuum had, had eaten it up. We'd already emptied it out in the trash. We looked all over the house, couldn't find it. So she's like, well, you know, until we replace it, I'm just going to get a placeholder thing. So for 50 bucks, she got this. And I'm telling you, she's gotten more compliments on the fake ring than ever on, on the, the real one. And it was a, a reminder to me, if kind of a fun reminder, that, that we, as, we as human beings, myself included, sometimes we tend to give our best compliments to things that aren't actually the most valuable things. We're not always the best at gauging what something's real value is. Even sometimes when we look at other people, we're this way. The Bible actually calls this out in us. It says, human beings look at the outer appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. 
the Lord is the one who can really, really understand what's happening inside of our heart, inside of us. And he knows what real value looks like. And he looks at those that maybe the world would pass over and say, oh, there's such value there because I see your heart. Mary is one of those folks that, that maybe from the outer appearance, the world would have passed over. She didn't come from a family of any wealth, didn't have a lot of formal education, wasn't from you know, royalty. There wasn't a lot on the surface, perhaps, that you would have said, now that's a world-changing person. She was very young at this point in the story, might have just walked by and, and not even noticed, or just, just, just another young girl. But God looked at her heart, and he said, now there's a real diamond. There is someone who has the kind of faith that I can work through to literally change the world. And that's exactly what he did through Mary. So we're going to dive into scripture today, beginning in verse 26 of Luke chapter 1. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. Gabriel appeared to her and said, Greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. Confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think of what the angel could mean. Don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her, for you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be very great and will be called Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David, and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. Mary asked the angel, but how can this be? I'm a virgin. Pause the story there for just a minute. There's so much going on here. So, you know, Mary, young girl at this point in the story, we don't know exactly her age, but we know a lot about the cultural practices in ancient Israel at this time. We know that she was betrothed at this point, which is a legally binding engagement that happened about a year before the marriage, but it was legally binding. You had to get a divorce to break it off. And so she was betrothed to a guy named Joseph. Now, young girls were betrothed in this time much younger than women get married today. Because in ancient Israel, you go straight from childhood into marriage and motherhood. There's not a period of, of adolescence in between. So a young girl would be betrothed in marriage, typically somewhere between the ages of 12 and 14, with 12 being the most common. Because once you hit 13 in Jewish culture, you're legally and culturally considered an adult. A young girl will have a bar mitzvah ceremony celebrating her, her transition from childhood to womanhood. A young man will have a bar mitzvah ceremony celebrating his transition from childhood to manhood. But boys didn't get married at 13 because when they hit adulthood, they had to study, they had to apprentice, they had to learn a trade and master a trade to prove that they could earn a living and be able to support a family. So young girls would get married usually between the ages of 13 to 15, and guys would get married a little bit later. But what we know about Mary is that somewhere in that range, she was, she was young. This is a lot of news. This is a heavy load for an eighth grade girl, more or less, to be carrying on her shoulders that you've been chosen, you've been picked to carry God's kid, to bring the long-awaited Messiah into the world. And she handles this news remarkably well. The Bible says she wasn't, it didn't say fear, it said she was disturbed and confused, like there's this angel in my room that's unsettling, and there's this news that I'm trying to process, um, and, I'm, and I'm also a virgin, and, and I know enough about how all this works that that that's kind of a prerequisite for having a baby is consummating the relationship with, 
Joseph and I won't do until after we're married. And so how am I going to make this happen? She was focused on the limitation. I can't fulfill this prophecy because, because of this limitation. I'm a virgin. I think a lot of times as human beings, we focus on our limitation when really it's the limitation that God will use to create the room for the miracle. So the first point today is God's supernatural power is always greater than our natural limitations. We think, well, I can never do this because of this. I can never do that because of whatever. And Mary had a lot of natural limitations. She was young. She was poor. She, you know, was going to have a child, but she's not done anything biologically making it possible to have a child. And yet God says, no, you're, you and those limitations are actually exactly what I need to tell the story that I want to tell. It's a story that's going to require a lot of miracles. And I think God still wants to bring a lot of miracles about in our life. But to pause and think about Mary for just a second, I think, again, she is so misunderstood that when we think about Mary, we don't even think of a real person anymore. We just think of a statue, like this just perfect statue, this, per this woman in stained glass, and we forget her humanity, that she was a real person. At this point in the story, just barely more than a, a kid. And she was real. She had real struggles. She had, you know, real doubts and real fears, but she had a pure faith. And a pure faith is all God really ever asks of any of us. And so when the angel appeared, and angel said, what, what angels tend to always say when they appear is, be not afraid. And I think the reason why they say that is because when you look all through scripture, every time an angel appears to somebody, the first thing that people experience is terror, usually. In fact, Mary's the only angel encounter we have in the Bible where it says, it didn't say she was terrified. She was just kind of confused and disturbed, but not terrified. Everybody else is terrified because angels, not to turn this into a sermon about angels, but just to give you a little sidebar here, really fascinating creations of God, made by God to be messengers, made by God to be servants, made by God to do some extra cool assignments. We know in scripture that they can disguise themselves in human form. In fact, the Bible says many of us have actually interacted with angels and been completely unaware of it. But when they're not parading around as people and they're in their actual God-given form, the way they show up to folks in an angel encounter, apparently they're terrifying looking because everybody's always really afraid, right? Which again, this makes it, I'm trying to help you guys out here. I'm going somewhere. I've heard a lot of you guys use the really bad kind of Christian pickup line like, girl, you got the face of an angel. A couple things on that. Number one, there's no female angel in scripture. Number two, apparently they're really scary looking. So guys, what you're really saying when you're like, girl, you got the face of an angel, you're saying you look both masculine and terrifying to me. <laughs> so girls, don't take it as a compliment. You know, point him back to scripture and help the guy out. Guys, we can do better. So Gabriel appears, does the regular thing, don't be afraid. Now you, you do be afraid if they don't say don't be afraid because that could be the angel of death and that's a different thing. But this is Gabriel, he's, he's got good news. Don't be afraid, I've got really good news. God has, he's picked you for this long awaited assignment. You're gonna bring the Messiah into the world. And she's trying to process it. This is heavy, this is a lot to process. And so she just asked one clarifying question. Well, what about this limitation? And he lets her know that not to worry about the, the limitation because that's gonna create room for the miracle. The angel replied, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the baby to be born will be holy, and he will be called the Son of God. What's more, 
your relative Elizabeth has become pregnant in her old age. People used to say she was barren, but she has conceived a son. And now, he, and now she is in her sixth month of pregnancy, for the word of God will never fail. Do you love that? The word of God will never fail. And, and I think it's so easy to lose hope. It's so easy to lose heart. And we've been waiting on something for a long time. The way that Elizabeth had been waiting a long time to start a family. And that prayer had not been answered. She's wondering, God, why? You know, why, why have you denied me this thing? And God ended up answering that prayer. He doesn't always answer our prayers the exact way that we want him to. But in Elizabeth's case, he did supernaturally answer it the exact way that, that she had prayed and, and asked for. So for Mary... She's starting a family much earlier than she had planned. For Elizabeth, she's starting a family much later than she had planned. But for both of those ladies, it was in God's perfect timing. And a principle I think we can learn here is this. God's timing is almost always different from our own timing. But his timing always proves to be perfect. This is one of the most difficult aspects of our faith. I mean, for all of us, all of us can relate to this. Everybody in this room, all those at our South Campus, all those watching at our Dream Center experience, all those watching online right now, one thing we all have in common is that we've had moments in our life where our timing and God's timing were different things. Where it's like, God, why are you waiting so long to answer this prayer? God, I've, I've waited so long for you to you know, bring me a spouse and I'm, I'm still single. God, I've waited so long for you to put me in a better job, and I'm still in this terrible job. God, I've waited so long for you, to, for you to answer this prayer, and I still feel like I'm in a wilderness all by myself. God, what is taking so long? But see, God is always doing something in the waiting. Always. And he's saying, trust me. And trusting him requires trusting in his timing. That God who's beyond time and who sees the whole big picture, he's saying, if you'll just trust me, you're going to see one day why I had you wait. You're going to see one day what I was doing in that waiting season. You're going to see how all this fits together for your good. But you've got to trust me. You can't grow bitter during this time. You can't, you can't give into that temptation that says just force your own way. Just take a shortcut because that's not going to end well. But what I'm asking you to do is just to trust me. And while you're waiting in that job that you wish you didn't have, just go in every day, say, God, work through me today. Help me to be a light in this dark place. Help me to remember, like it says in Scripture, I don't work for my boss, Lord, but I work for you. And I want to give you honor and glory. And let this, this task that I'm doing here, even if nobody else notices it, let it be an act of worship to you. And for as long as I'm here, help me to be faithful right where I am. Because that's God's definition of success. It's not the amount of money we have. It's not the number of academic degrees we have or the amount of fame we have. God's definition of success is just to trust him and be faithful to do what he's called you to do right where you are every single day to wake up and say, Lord, how can I honor you today in my family, in my work, in my interactions, in the words that I speak, in the thoughts that I think, in the prayers that I pray? God, help me to honor you right where I am. And then if we get so focused on what we want to come next, that next season, God, once I get to that place, then I'm going to really start living. But what I'm doing right now, this isn't really life. I'm just waiting. But it's in the waiting that you are living. It's in the waiting that God's wanting to teach you something. And so don't miss those seasons. I had the chance to, to watch a sneak preview of a movie that's going to be out in a couple of weeks in theaters called American Underdog. It's a true story about a football player named Kurt Warner, who I remember cheering for back when he was playing. And... It is a, an amazing true story. And to just kind of like give you a nutshell version of how it ties into this principle, 
Kurt Warner's whole dream in life was to play football. He was like, this is what I'm made to do. This is the only thing I'm good at. This is my dream, my calling, my identity. And after he got out of college, nobody wanted him. Like no team wanted him. It was just rejection and closed door. And so he's like in a wilderness, like, God, why aren't you answering this prayer? What I feel like this is what I'm made to do. And he had to take on some, some humbling things. Instead of being a quarterback in the NFL, he was stocking shelves and bagging groceries you know, for minimum wage, trying to support a young family. And he, he couldn't make ends meet. And they struggled. They struggled financially. But through those years of struggle and through those years of waiting and hardship and hard work, God was doing something in his character. God was doing something in his faith. He was doing something to show him what really mattered. It wasn't the glory on a football field, but it was, it was to faithfully, right where you are, love your family and trust in God and, and to have that kind of perseverance. And so you fast forward a few years, and he's probably the oldest rookie in the league, and he's getting an opportunity nobody in a million years thought he would have. And then the quarterback ahead of him got injured, and now he's going to be the starting quarterback. And the coach looks at him and says, why? Why should I give you this chance? And Kurt said, because now's my time. He said, I thought I was ready for all those years before, but I wasn't ready. God knew I wasn't ready. But all those years of struggle, all those years of waiting, he's been preparing me for this moment. And now I see it. Now I see why he had me wait. Now I see what that struggle was for. And I think that if all of us will be faithful in our seasons of struggle, we're gonna have those moments too, where we're gonna say, now I see what it was for. I thought I was ready back then, but I wasn't ready. I thought, God, you're punishing me because you haven't opened that door yet, but I wasn't ready even if he had opened the door. But now I see why he waited, why he had me wait. I see what he was doing while I waited. And so I'm gonna trust in his timing whether his timing is something that's way sooner than I had wanted in Mary's case or way later than I had wanted in Elizabeth's case, either way, I'm gonna trust in God's timing. And that's what Mary chose to do. Mary responded, I'm the Lord's servant. May everything you've said about me come true. And the angel left her. And what a thing to say. May everything, Lord, you have said about me come true. Because the Bible has a lot to say about you. The Bible has a lot to say about all of us. It says, the angel said, Mary, you have found favor with God. And you think, well, I wish I had that kind of favor with God. Guess what? You do. The word favor that the angel used in the Greek is the word charis. And the word charis, more often than favor, way more often than favor, is translated in the New Testament as grace. And all of us have found charis, the Bible says. We've all found grace because of what Jesus has done for us. From the moment we put our faith and trust in Jesus, we found favor. We have found grace. We we have those same opportunities. In many ways, we have the same calling Mary had. We're called to carry Christ within us, not in our womb, but in our heart. We're called, as Mary was, to share Christ with the world. Like, our calling is sacred too. The favor on your life is sacred too. The struggles in your life have purpose too. And so don't think, well, yeah, if I, if I had a calling like Mary, then maybe my life would count. No, God has a special calling in your life too. We just have to trust that his plans might look different than our, our, ours. Here's a principle. Faith means trusting that God's plans are always better than your own plans. We all have our plans for life. God, I want it to look this way. Bless this. I'm going to do this. Would you bless this? And we go through life asking God to bless what we've already decided to do instead of asking God to show us what he wants us to do. And those, that's two different things, right? If we just do what we're going to do and ask God to bless it, then 
we're kind of missing the bigger picture, that God might have a different plan, a better plan. Or we'll say, God, I'll do anything you want me to do as long as, and then we put him in a box, as long as I never have to move away from my hometown, as long as I never have to leave this career field, as long as I fill in the blank. And that's putting a limit on what God calls you to do. We've got to come in with open hands and say, Lord, my life's in your hands. What do you want to do? Because my answer is going to be yes. I'm going to trust that your plans are better than my plans. And that's what Mary did. And it wasn't easy, by the way. I think looking back 2,000 years later, we're like, oh, yeah, that's easy. It's easy to say yes. I'm going to, I'm going to give birth to the Savior. I mean, what, what could be bad? But see, Mary, she knew what this was actually going to cost her. This was good news, but it didn't mean it was going to be easy because she was now going to be pregnant outside of wedlock. She didn't know if her fiance, Joseph, was going to just dump her, which he planned to do until an angel showed up to him in a dream and said, no, she's actually telling the truth. She didn't know if her family was going to disown her, which they likely did. She didn't know if, if she was going to be punished for this because a woman pregnant out of wedlock in this culture could be punished or even executed. She didn't know how they were going to make ends meet. She knew that her nation was being at the time ruled by the Roman Empire, which had been very oppressive to their people. So she was going to be pregnant on the back of a donkey, traveling a long distance for a forced census by Rome so that they could be taxed more. In the town of Bethlehem, where they didn't know anybody, both families most likely disowning them. And then from there, King Herod, the ruler of the day, was so threatened that the word had gotten out a Messiah had been born, fulfilling this ancient prophecy that a king would rise up from among the Jews. And he was so threatened by that, he sent his soldiers to kill the baby boys in that region. And Mary and Joseph now had to flee to Egypt as refugees, where they didn't speak Egyptian. They didn't know anybody with no possessions except what they could put on this donkey. They, they, they had to go into hiding. They had to create a life and raise a toddler in, in a foreign land before they finally came back and, and settled in a little town called Nazareth to raise their family. I mean, yes, there was blessing every step of the way. Yes, God was with them every step of the way. But Mary knew it was going to be hard. She knew it was gonna be hard. And still with joy, she was able to say yes. And it wasn't a naive kind of yes, where it's like, well, everything is just gonna work out. No, she knew it would work out, but she knew that in the working out, there was gonna be pain and there was gonna be loss. And I think that sometimes in our modern views of, of the Christian faith, we, we believe this myth that if any part of our life is hard, it must mean that we're outside of God's will or that God is punishing us. But that's not the case. Life is just hard. Jesus said so. Jesus said, in this life, you're gonna have troubles, but guess what? You can take heart because I've overcome the world. So our promise isn't a life without hardship. It's a promise where we'll never experience that hardship alone. God is with us every step of the way. Mary knew because God is with me every step of the way, then I'm gonna be okay through whatever hardship comes. And I'm gonna trust my God in the moments of joy and in the moments of pain. I'm gonna trust my God. I'm gonna trust my God when I have a baby in a barn, which makes a really cute little nativity scene, but for a real life woman, having a baby in a barn with no epidural and no family around her, and God's like, well, don't worry, your family's not here, but I sent you some homeless shepherds to encourage you. And it's like, it's a sweet thought, 
but it's not what you really wanted. But yet Mary chose, to, and the Bible says, to treasure those moments. She's like, this is not anything like I planned, but I'm going to treasure this moment because I know this is from God. This is from the Lord. And yet it's not the picture I had in my mind of what life was going to look like, but because God's in it, it's something even better. And so God is gonna write a story through your life that's probably nothing like you planned. And maybe you're in that right now. You're like, yep, it's not anything like I planned. But we can trust him to work it all together for good. That's something we can learn from Mary. So Mary goes to celebrate with her, her cousin Elizabeth. A few days later, Mary hurried to the hill country of Judea to the town where Zechariah lived. She entered the house and greeted Elizabeth. At the sound of Mary's greeting, Elizabeth's child leaped within her. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Elizabeth gave a glad cry and exclaimed to Mary, God has blessed you above all women and your child is blessed. Why am I so honored that the mother of my Lord should visit me? When I heard your greeting, the baby in my womb jumped for joy. You are blessed because you believed that the Lord would do what he said. You're blessed because you believed. That's why we call this series Believe. Because that's where the blessing comes from. It's open to all of us. We've got to choose to believe. And believe really means trusting. It's not just like an intellectual belief saying, I believe in God. Because Satan believes in God. But what we're called is trusting in God, putting our full hope in him, our identity in him, putting our lives into his hands. The way that Mary had chosen to do. I love, I love the example of these two women of extraordinary faith. And I love this principle we can learn from them. The believing happens before the blessing. Elizabeth believed that God was good long before he ever answered that miraculous prayer to give her a family of her own. She believed it. And so she was already living in the blessing because instead of a hard heart, even in those years of, of, of barrenness, in those years of heartache, she, she, had, she had a close walk with the Lord, which is something far greater than any other blessing. Mary received the blessing because she believed that God was good and she said yes to him even before she knew how it was all gonna work out. And because of that, because of that, she experienced this blessing. All of us in life are gonna have opportunities to believe in God's goodness before we see how it's all gonna work out. Because that's really what faith is. Faith is a choice to trust God even before you see how it's gonna work out. It's choosing to believe God is good, even in those moments when life is hard. And all of us are gonna have moments like that. Many of us are having moments like that right now. Or we carried some heavy burdens into this place. You know, we've, we've all got some stuff. Everyone in this room, everybody at South Campus, everybody watching online, we all have, we all have some weight that we're carrying. And we might hide it really well behind a smile, but there's a pain there that maybe only God sees. And he's telling us today, trust me with that. Trust that I'm good, even in the midst of that, that trial that you're walking through. Trust that I'm gonna work it out for your good and my glory someday. Trust that at the end of the story, looking back, you're gonna see how it all makes sense. So what Mary chose to do with this great news, she chose joy. Not blind to the hardships that were gonna come, fully aware of them, and yet choosing joy. Choosing joy, the same way that her son would one day carry a cross, a cross that was gonna carry so much pain and so much hardship, but he bore that 
with joy for our sake. Because he knew that by enduring that suffering, he was creating that bridge between God and man that we could walk across. We never could have done on our own. We can't earn our way to God. Nobody can. Jesus paved the way. And he endured the suffering to make it happen. And because that suffering had purpose, he was able to endure it with a peace, peace that surpasses all understanding. And we can endure our hardships as well if we'll cling to the Prince of Peace as we go through them. To give Mary the the last word on this message, I wanna read to you, I don't have it on the screen, but I wanna read to you from scripture, the very next verses, which are called Mary's song. It was her response, her response and reflection on all God had done for her. And it's, it's beautiful. She responded, oh, how my soul praises the Lord. How my spirit rejoices in God, my savior, for he took notice of his lowly servant girl. And from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one is holy and he has done great things for me. He shows mercy from generation to generation to all who fear him. His mighty arm has done tremendous things. He has scattered the proud and haughty ones. He has brought down princes from their thrones and exalted the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away with empty hands. He has helped his servant Israel and remembered to be merciful. For he made this promise to our ancestors, to Abraham and to his children forever. Even in her song of praise, she's remembering the faithfulness of God, the promises of God, the goodness of God. And we're called to remember the same in moments of joy and in moments of hardship to look back on the faithfulness of God through the ages and in our own lives and to thank him for that and to praise him for that and to find strength in that, knowing that God is with us and he is for us. And because of that, we can face all things with joy and peace because we've chosen to believe and trust in his goodness. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for everyone here. I thank you for your plan in their lives, for your favor, your grace in their lives. And for all of us today, Lord, who are struggling, I pray we would be reminded of your faithfulness and your power and your grace. For all of us who are in a season of waiting, God, give us the patience to endure, trusting you every step of the way, trusting in your timing. For those here today and those watching online who haven't yet made that decision to put their trust in you, the biggest decision of their lives, to believe in you and to follow you, then Jesus, let today be the day that in their own words, their own thoughts, They pray a simple but sincere prayer and say, Jesus, save me. Forgive me of the way that I've lived. I've tried to do things my own way, but today I'm committing to doing things your way. I'm putting my trust in you. Make me into the person I was meant to be. Adopt me into your family and help me spend my life walking with you and living your plan for my life. God, I trade all of my plans in exchange for whatever plans you have for me. And I receive those plans with joy as I receive you with joy today, Jesus. Lord, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for coming on a rescue mission for us. And we thank you that because of you, because of you, grace is available to us all. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thanks for listening. If you would like to help support the ministries of Stevens Creek Church, please go to stevenscreekchurch.com and click the Give button. See you next time.